This is Fusion Capitalism, a clean energy vision for conservatives. Brought to you by industry leader and company CEO, Steve Malink. Here's Steve. Welcome back to my conversation with the president and CEO of Apex Clean Energy, Mark Goodwin. Mark, in part one, we talked about some of the projects that Apex has been involved in, but now I'd like to shift the conversation to what has been happening at the international, federal, and state level in regard to climate change and energy policy. Are you personally active in any way as a lobbyist for government action? I'm a board member for American Clean Power Association. We've been advocating for many of the things that are proposed within the reconciliation bill and in some in the infrastructure bill that, that just passed in the Senate. We're strong proponents of what's called uh, direct pay as a way of, of multiplying the amount of project finance capital that's available for wind and solar. Also believe uh, that there should be a production tax credit for hydrogen and we're a strong proponent for the version of a clean energy standard that's proposed in the reconciliation bill. So a lot of stuff that folks are working on on climate that are embedded in the infrastructure bill and in the reconciliation bill, and we're big supporters of that. So I'm interested in, I guess, was it just to try to hedge the bets and include some climate action in in both bills, or it would just seem like in an infrastructure bill, it belongs in one or the other. But do you know anything about why it was approached that way? There's people that know more about politics than I do, but I would say that, you know, the administration and the key members of the Senate were very keen on having a portion of it be bipartisan. And so they've achieved that. So there, there are components related to climate in that that bill, but the, the, the larger parts of the Biden administration climate agenda are reserved for the reconciliation. So I, I think a lot of folks support like trying to get the Congress to be more bipartisan. So that was the path that they, um, mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. they chose and, you know, optimistic that that's going to work, that there'll be a uh, negotiated outcome on uh, reconciliation that has a lot of the climate parts that we I just talked about. Okay. So assuming at least the first, uh, the, the $1 trillion package gets approved, will it have any direct impact on companies such as yours, do you see? There's money in the infrastructure bill for transmission. Um, you know, some people view it as more a down payment for all the infrastructure that we need on the transmission side things. So there's, you know, we need multi hundred billion, you know, dollars invested in transmission in order to do the transition that we're talking about to get to a goal of 100% clean energy on the grid. You need like lots more investment in transmission, but People are talking about what's in the infrastructure bill as kind of a down payment on that. Unrelated to our business, there's money for a network of electric vehicle charging stations, also what some would call a down payment for what's needed to transition the transport sector over to transition that to electricity. So 
Um, it's a, it, there's a, some starting points there in the in the one trillion dollar bill, but a lot more in the reconciliation. I see. All right. In my home state of Ohio, Governor Mike DeWine signed a bill into law that adds hurdles to wind and solar companies trying to do business in our state. What would you say to those lawmakers who are not yet fully embracing the opportunity of clean energy? Well, um, I think it's it's a setback for sure for a state, an important state like Ohio, to make it harder to bring wind and solar online. You know, there's a lot of companies that base their operations or choose to base their operations in states like Ohio, and part of their business is to procure renewable energy that generated near where their operations are. So Ohio um, legislatures are not doing themselves a favor if in, in like trying to recruit businesses and jobs if they're making it harder to deliver renewable projects. I will say that there were the, the State Chamber of Commerce was against the bill, but all, you know worked with some legislatures to make it less harmful Kudos to the Chamber of Commerce there for understanding, you know, that how energy transition is happening and how Ohio should want to be part of that. Uh, like I said, it's it's a, a setback for the state, in my opinion, if they're if they're making things harder. It's also, you know, against property rights for folks that uh, you want to engage with companies like Apex and use their property to, you know, for a commercial enterprise like wind and solar. It's it's a setback. Yeah, sure. So um, the UN Climate Change Conference is coming up in November. It'll be held in Glasgow, Scotland this time. Will the organization that you're a member of have any direct involvement in any way as an advisor to spur, you know, actionable commitments to your knowledge? I believe, yeah, our CEO and leaders at ACP have uh, are talking to policymakers that are attending in Glasgow and in some cases maybe attending um, the, the conference. Our industry is how you achieve goals. So, you know, we talk to those policymakers on what we can do. And the conversation is if policymakers deliver X, Y, and Z on policy, the renewable energy sector can really step up to to decarbonize a good chunk of the economy. And so we're a resource for policymakers to achieve the climate goals. Okay. And this is my last question. What is your prescription for the climate crisis that might give us hope that the future of our planet and humanity will be largely solved within the next 10 years? Uh, climate scientists say that we have about a decade in which to get this problem under control. And, and do you have any personal thoughts on what we need to do starting now in the next 10 years to get done? Kind of the three keys for me that I'm, you know, tracking on the policy side. Um, and, you know, my expertise is in the utility sector. So, uh, and that is the utility sector is responsible for a large portion of carbon emissions. What we can do is include in reconciliation a clean energy standard that is able to pass muster with the parliamentarian and i think that there's a version that they're working on that will be able to achieve that second we strongly support what's called direct pay which is re replaces the project finance model that we had for you know a couple of decades with 
instead of like using third-party tax equity projects would qualify for the ITC and the PTC directly, and it would open up um, you know more institutions to bring capital, and we need that in order to double, triple, quadruple the amount of projects that get financed. We need access to more capital uh, rather than the traditional tax equity model. Uh, and then finally, transmission is is key in my mind. Um, opening up transmission will let us build more of the projects, uh, the wind and solar projects in places where it's sunny and windy and bring those to where the, you know, the power is used. Also, you know, expanding on the green fuels side of things, as they talked about, and the ammonia sector is is going to be really helpful to decarbonizing a big chunk. Okay. Well, Mark, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. It's been great learning about the good work Apex is doing and why clean energy is such a great economic opportunity. I hope we get to hear more about your company in the future. And um, I also just want to say thank you for your military service to our nation. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for listening to Fusion Capitalism. To find out more about Steve Belink and his book, go to FusionCapitalism.com. This has been a production of Forbes Books Radio.